Gammons called me a walking non sequitur. And it took me a long time to figure that out. And that's what I am because I am a radical conservative. Mm. You know, I split my own firewood. Every piece that I've burned in this house, I have split by hand, not by a machine. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. Our guest this week is one of the great persons and great personalities in the history of Major League Baseball. A pitcher for the Boston Red Sox and the Montreal Expos in a career that lasted from 1969 to 1982. He's also the author of what might be the best baseball memoir ever written, The Wrong Stuff. And he has a new book out called The Spaceman Chronicles. His name is Bill, the Spaceman Lee. So, I mean, for, for me... Imagine Dave Z is a little kid learning he's going to interview Bill Lee someday and imagine that kid just wigging out because that's me right now. I also have some choice words about Kyrie Irving, Just Stand Up and Just Sit Down Awards. I also have my own personal tribute to the late, great Henry Aaron. But first, let's talk to the spaceman, Bill Lee. Bonjour, Essex. Hello, Bill Spaceman Lee. How you doing, sir? I'm good. What is Essex? That's your phone. It says Essex for something or other. Is it your cell phone? Oh, no, no. It's because we're running this through Skype, so I guess it has its own uh, return oh. address. Too bad you don't have a picture. Then you can see my fire in the fireplace. Oh, that is too bad. Um, yeah. 11 degrees below zero wind chill right here. Well, I can't believe you you, you embrace the cold the way you do. Well, there's no such thing as cold weather, just inappropriate clothing. Ah, I'll take that to heart. I really will. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I am. All I do is I'm an advertising junkie for no one that listens. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great line. I mean, I'm in D.C. where if it's 40 degrees with a wind, people are complaining like they're in the northern tundra of Lambeau Field. Yes, that's going to be a sight to see a. All those old quarterbacks out there on a frigid field. Oh, all creaky on Sunday. Um, well, I, I really appreciate you making the time. I have a bunch of random questions for you. So if you're up for random. I'm up for random, yes. It's amazing that uh, Aaron and King died back to back. Is that weird or what? Well, I consider them. I don't know where Larry King was living, but I consider them both icons of Atlanta. Exactly, exactly, and they both died back to back. He died in L.A. I didn't know, not, not know King. That's not his real name, and he had eight wives. Yeah, yeah that that was his that was his thing. He he married a great deal. <laughs> I know. That's why he wore suspenders all the time. Could keep his pants up. <laughs> <laughs> it, it has been said of Larry King <laughs> that that's how he rolled. That's no doubt awesome. about that's it. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, my, that's my yeah. producer, whose name is also David, chuckling as well. Just if you hear, I heard him. I chuckles. heard him. That's all I. I do stand up, but I can't stand bright lights. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but one thing you can do is stand up, which is uh, that's that's it. I still I went twelve for twelve this fall in the in a sixty-five and over tournament, and I thought I was God. It was amazing, and then I called all my children and bragged, and I went 0 for 7 after that. <laughs> okay, but still 12 for 19, very healthy. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Very healthy average. So I know you love that Eugene Debs quote about, you know, I'm a citizen of the earth. I don't have a country. I know that's a... That is my favorite. Eugene Debs, Terre Haute, Indiana. Where did they kill the last woman in America? Uh, you mean in the execution? Montgomery girl, the Montgomery girl. Yes, the one that, that was out of Terre Haute, yeah. Terre Haute. Tell me things aren't connected. A guy named James Burke on PBS 30 years ago, a show that I idolized, it was called Connections. And my second book is basically Connecting the Dots. Based, based on James Burke. And that's what I'm going to do with America. I'm going to connect the dots and show them where we have to proceed if we're going to have a great, oh, my God, I'm listening to jazz and talking to you. Don't get any better than that. That's awesome. <laughs> um, when you were playing ball in 73 and 74, you were in the majors. Were you? Oh, you're, <laughs> that's not a joke. <laughs> that was <laughs> Those were great. I wanted, I wanted your producer to get that. <laughs> oh, okay. But when, when you were playing ball in 73 and 74, um, were, were you aware as a player and were other players aware of the amount of pressure that Henry Aaron was under and chasing down Babe Ruth? Do I know that by a fact? I'm reading right now in front of me, right now in front of me, that I'm halfway through. It's the greatest baseball book ever written. It's by Mike Shopeshire. It's called Seasons in Hell. And I am there in 73. I am at that All-Star game. And mm. Dick Williams, I was on that team, and I did not play. I was the only player in the 73 World Series that did not play. I was in the 73 All-Star game, yeah. did. Um, I think I remember you writing in your book that all the American League players wanted to get autographs from the National League players because they were all such superstars with, with Aaron among them. Didn't you, didn't you write yeah. that? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. And, you know, Jim Spencer was, when Ustremski got hurt and didn't go, Jim Spencer was anointed from the Texas Rangers first baseman to go with Whitey Herzog. So he's there, I'm there, and Spencer and I played in the Joe DiMaggio Children's Tournament, and then we did the Red Sox Fantasy Camp. We played 10 innings. We went over, did the... The, the Joe DiMaggio camp, and he I got sick, the sickest I've ever been, was in bed with 104 temperature for four days, and Spencer died. Wow. Wow, is that a connection? I'm going, holy shit, I've always seen. I remember I was hammered in Montreal, and I should have been dead, but God was shooting in the sky, and that night he hit Don Drysdale. Is well, that a connection? That is a connection. You know, um, Drysdale, my dad played for Scotty Drysdale. Wow. Well, I you, knew Don your when whole he was a bad boy for my dad's team. It's amazing how it goes full circle. It's, it's, it is. It's, as your circle, as, as your circumference goes around, the circle's perfect thing. And it's funny, as your knowledge increases, so does that what you don't know. Mm. I've always now, lived by that quote. You know, in, in The Wrong Stuff, you have this great passage, and I still have my dog-eared copy of your book from 30 years ago. It's um, where, where you say that people referred to you as a radical and the commissioner, Bowie Kuhn, as a Nixon-loving conservative. 
yet you were the one who didn't want to change all the rules to the game. And Kuhn is throwing in the DH and is thinking about doing three balls as a walk and all sorts of things. And so what do you have to say about that? Like that you were the one, you were the radical, but you want to keep the tradition of baseball and Kuhn and his ilk play off conservatives, but they want to turn the game upside down. Yeah, well, Gammons called me a walking non-sequitur, and it took me a long time to figure that out, and that's what I am because I am a radical conservative. Mm. You know, I split my own firewood. Every piece that I've burned in this house, I have split by hand, not by a machine. And I believe in loyalty like I'm a dog. I'm, uh, you know, in Chinese philosophy, I'm a dog. I am loyal. And I was loyal to Tom Yaki, even though he had his problems. And he got rid of me, and I went to Montreal, and I was loyal to them. The Atlanta Braves offered me $3 million if I would go free agent, and I stayed in Montreal for for less than $1 million. You know, Canadian, which is, you know, and, and it's like, it's funny. I Just because I believe in workers' rights... I don't believe they pertain to me in that respect, but I'm boycotting Goya products right now because of their, the treatment of their workers and everything else. And, you know, I believe in that. And I mean, you know, you've done democracy now and you've done all these great things. And I am, uh, I ran against Amy Goodwin's sister-in-law for governor of the state of Vermont. Go figure that. Is that a connection or what? Yeah, that's a serious connection. A- Amy's Amy's family is something else. Because um, we're talking about the, the idea of radicalism and conservatism when it comes to baseball. And yeah. what do you think when you think about all the changes that baseball wants to make to the game now? And, you know, to make it more, quote unquote, appealing. And what do you think about the state of the sport in 2020? believe in states either really flags and I believe in a whole and I believe in you know here's what I, I I gave a speech to Arch Insurance and Lou Pinello was there the year before it was Tommy Lasorda we had two great years Arch carries the insurance for Major League Baseball they brought me in and Lou Pinello got up to speak in the breakfast I did the evening and I was there and when they showed Lou Pinello a five-minute clip of him getting thrown out of baseball. I stood up, and before he spoke, I said, this is baseball. I said, isn't it better to watch Lupinella get thrown out like that than to watch instant replay? And every every guy agreed with me, you know, and that's, that's the end of instant replay. Fallibility is in the game. Mistakes are in the game, you know, and uh, I believe in Vladimir Guerrero, high socks, no gloves, hitting in the winter, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. I love baseball the way it was. You know, I mean, it adapts. Some years you run, some years you don't. Depends on what talent you have in the ball club. But I am a firm conservative, no designated hitter, no interleague play. You know, I want the game the way it was back when, even before I played. When you played, I mean, I believe that the players were like, rock stars you know people like carlton fisk jim rice freddie lynn louis tiant yourself frankly today it feels like so many players are anonymous drones um how did that happen uh it happened because of bill james 
<laughs> it happened because now the people don't have personalities. They have statistics, statistics, damn statistics. Yeah. You know, if you want to listen to a great guy, Michael Lewis, not Moneyball, listen to his video short and called Coach about his coach in New Orleans. You know, you go, he was an old Oakland catcher, Fitzy, his name was. You listen to that, and you'll get the true meaning of sport, you know. And uh, I, that's what I believe in, you know. Mm. Yeah, I believe. I believe. I tell you, I'm freaking, I guess I'm, I don't know if I'm a prophet, but I'll tell you one thing. I don't believe in prophet. (laughs) It's funny, I you know, and everybody puts down socialism, and I've married Canadians, my last two wives. You know, wow. So practice I, what I you preach. about your affection for Canada. I didn't know it extended to your marital connections as well. But oh, I've... yes. I love Canada. You know, I love it. But in my new book, I quote a lot of uh, Lakota Sioux. You know, they like to spread their religion, but they sure don't practice it much themselves. Mm. That's a great Lakota Sue statement, and you know, I wrote my last book and dedicated it to Anime Aquash, a Micmac Indian from a reservation in Nova Scotia, who was summarily killed in the Leonard Peltier crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you know, look at all the guys Trump freaking pardoned. You think they'd let Leonard Peltier at least die in peace on the reservation? Yeah, you certainly would. Free Leonard Peltier. That's a uh, certainly the position of this podcast. That's for sure. Yeah, um, I know. I I wanted to ask you also what when you were playing, you had people like Larry Gura, Tiant. Again, I'll put yourself in this category. I mean, these were artists. Now it feels like yeah, you could pitch. I mean, I once you once described my, Mike uh, Cuellar's uh, screwball like trying to hit an empty coke can for distance. Oh, Just, you should have seen him throw to the big man. You know. uh uh, what's his name? Played with Atlanta Braves too. Went to the Texas Rangers. He couldn't hit that change up with a paddle, you know. And I, I, I mean, look at Hubble. Think of the great Carl Hubble. How he walked down the street with his arm like twisted around. And George Plimpton used to walk like Carl Hubble down the street. And his father said, "Quit doing that, son. Quit doing that. The doctors, the people will think that you know I don't have enough money to get your arm fixed." <laughs> I think that's precious. Does does it does it bother you when you see what pitching looks like today? Like flamethrower after flamethrower coming in for two innings to throw a hundred miles an hour and then get pulled. I gave a talk with all the orthopedic surgeons in Boston one day, and they went down there, and one of the Boston writers was there, and they started talking about uh, Tommy John. Mm-hmm. Everybody remembers Tommy John. No one remembers the second guy to have it second guy to have it was Brent Strom. So I'm there listening to them, and I'm saying, you know what? It's all because you guys want to make extra money. You don't care if they blow out their elbow. It's a technology and stuff. You want to talk about drugs and enhancement and everything else, Tommy John is an enhancement. And all these high school kids, and then the writer from Boston, he goes, well, how come there's more high school guys getting surgery than than college kids? I went, "Uh, duh. There's more high school kids than there are college kids. That's the dumbest question I ever heard. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt whatsoever. That's what it is. It's it's money. 
follow the money, deep throat, follow the money. And that specialization breeds extinction, which brings us back to Buckminster Fuller. Yeah, specialization breeds extinction. I think we're going to call the podcast that this week. Um, Thank you. No problem. Buckminster Fuller, he's a Saluki too. He's Southern Illinois. Who did I beat in the College World Series? Southern Illinois. Where did Buckminster Fuller give his last speech? In the Rose Garden at USC. Where did I fail in communication in the Rose Garden? I ran away and would not give a speech because I was too embarrassed. Oh, my goodness. Now, given how buttoned down baseball is, and that's one of the things that, you know, I think makes you remarkable is then why so many people gravitate towards you is you're this free spirit in the context of a, a league that externally is very conservative. Did it? surprise you over the summer when baseball took part in the work stoppages after the police shooting of Jacob Blake in Osha, Wisconsin, because that blew my precious little mind. Well, it's it's so much, and we get so much press, but it's not, it's not police brutality. It's not that. It's a system we created through monotheism and money, and we've got to stop that. You know, I, when I, I did a card show in St. Louis. When I left St. Louis going to the airport and I went through that town where they had one of the first outbreaks, is it Henderson? No, oh, Ferguson, 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 not Henderson, Ferguson. When I hit that town line of Ferguson, I said, wow, there is definitely a lot of, a lot of, you know, bad things in that thing. I mean, that, that's a very secular area where they isolate the blacks and the whites mm. in St. Louis. Because when I played ball there, I never stayed in St. Louis. I was with all the black players going to East St. Louis, listening to jazz and eating soul food. Wow. That sounds like a wow. much better time. Uh, a much different time, yeah. Much better. You know, as John Milner said, John Milner the hammer. He said, Bill, you're the only white guy allowed in the back of the bus. <laughs> and I said, John, I didn't know I was white. Oh, my. Um, now, you're, you're referencing this, but you were a political athlete when you played on numerous fronts. Um, you know, you were you spoke out against racism. You stood up for cannabis. Was was it yeah. difficult to be a free spirit in such a conservative sport? Was it a blessing or a burden? Oh, it was a curse. It was a curse economically. It was a curse in a lot of things. But the truth will set you free. You know, and George Clinton, George Clinton, the famous rapper that I used to listen to all the time. Good thoughts bear forth good fruits. Bullshit thoughts rot your meat. You know, I'm the first guy that did rap and everything else in the American League. And it's, uh, you know, free your mind and your ass will follow. <laughs> yeah, George Clinton's famous line, of course. Yeah. Um, what What is your reaction in re what has been your reaction in recent years when you hear like the Fox News conservatives say that athletes should just shut up and play and not voice political concerns? Well, I just I just wondered when that night was when all the Republicans went to bed and and someone stuck a straw in their ear and sucked out half their brains. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, I, I've got some fans of the show in Montreal. Shout out to Dave Kaufman, who I think, you know, um, yes. So I got to ask you a couple of questions. Um, baseball in Montreal, what was it like to play ball 
in that town? And should it return? Is Montreal a baseball town? Oh, my God. It's the greatest baseball town. Newcomb, you know, Campanella, uh, Jackie Robinson. You, you think of the heritage and stuff that the Dodgers had there and the fans. I mean, when they have three games there or two games during spring training now, they draw 60,000 people. You know, mm-hmm. I do those things. And Montreal, it's the first international town that they gave it and they took it away. And they mm. gave it Toronto, a town that, you know, they, they sleep, drink, and eat work. Where Montreal, they work lightly and they die really quick because that's a party town. And I'm telling you, I love Montreal. You were part of a thrilling set of teams in Montreal. You know, rock stars all over the place like Andre Dawson and Tim Raines. But you said that... The best was Ellis Valentine. You wrote that. What made Ellis Valentine so special? Ellis Ellis was amazing. Ellis, I found out, was born with a deformed leg. He had one hip shorter than the other and stuff. And that's what caused his pain and his trouble and why he got into drugs and everything else. He had a, you had a cannon for an arm. And the guy was, you know, he would have been Winfield. He would have been uh, the big herd. He would have been fine if he didn't have those psychological problems that were based on physical ailments so it really he was was beaten too right oh yeah i want to tell you this there were i mean they i'll tell you (laughs) ellis the cops didn't respect ellis because he used to cower and they said that rodney scott though when we pick him up on the street he was a tough little son of a bitch (laughs) (laughs) and rodney and i are the best of friends we still talk to one another you know and it's uh it's tough being black. It's tough. You know, it's a tough thing, and I I felt for him. And, you know, Cesar Chavez, I remember we had all these guys picking, picking uh, peaches and walnuts on my grandfather's farm, and I would go down and watch them cook their tortillas and, and, and fry them up, and I would eat with them. And, and uh, they got 18 cents a box for peaches, and I got 18 cents a box for peaches back in the 50s. Mm. Now, I want I want folks to know that you know you still play baseball. Of course, could could you speak about that? Oh my gosh! You've never stopped playing baseball. No, I never stopped. I just I like to play. I like to compete. I like to hit. It's the only form of exercise I get. And this COVID has really kicked it in the ass. My season last year entailed one game in Vermont, and I pitched a nine inning complete game against a thirty five year old team. I had an eight to five lead in the eighth and I gave up a three run homer that's still going. And we ended up playing nine to nine and nine innings. And I went zero for five, but I really sucked it up on the mound and, uh, you know, held the game to a tie. So, you know, COVID wins, I get a tie. Then I go to Florida and hurricane Etta washed us out in the 70 and over championship. I'm defending champs. Yeah, I'll tell you, 2019, I had a great year. 2020 really sucks. Yeah. In 21, you know who the oldest Hall of Famer alive is right now? Uh, who's that? Willie Mays. Wow. Wow, and guess that? Sandy Koufax is number two. Wow. You know, my theory is I've always thought I play until I die, and right now I'm in the batter's box. 
Oh. It used to be in the on-deck circle and in the hole. But now I'm in the batter's box. And Bill, they said, Bill, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to foul off as many tough pitches as I can. <laughs> right on. Um, and, and your son, I mean, can you speak, he coaches, uh, women's baseball. Is that right? Women's fast pitch. Yeah. Annabelle, I named him Andy after Annabelle and Annabelle's in the hall of fame and she would have been 99 yesterday. Mary Pratt was 101. Annabelle threw a perfect game against Mary Pratt, a friend of mine. She's the last Rockford Pete. She died. She died in this pandemic too. And Annabelle was uh, response, right? Annabelle's my aunt. Yeah, she was Hazel's daughter, my father's sister. And uh, my grandfather, I just looked at a picture on him in, in 20, or 18, 19. I got a picture of him hitting for the Hollywood Stars at Gilmore Park in Hollywood. And uh, Andy, I'll tell you, Andy is a savant. Not that he's my son. Well, probably. he's He's got a little dyslexia like me and a little... Uh, you know, uh, whatever that, uh, all, not all, I've got Alzheimer's too, but it's, it's, what the hell's the name of that? Autism. Yeah. High level <laughs> autism. I have a grandson, but Andy in a two year period, he was 124 and nine at LSU Eunice. He won seven national championships. He was named NCAA coach of the year twice. Oh, and this is fast pitch uh, softball. All fast pitch. It's the greatest growing game in the world. Women's fast pitch, I would rather watch than hardball all day long. Wow. No, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. And I, I told you I was going to ask some random questions. So I have to ask, like, when, when you were playing, th- there was, like, so much controversy just because you defended cannabis. And yeah. today... It's le- did you ever think you would see it legal in so many states? Did you ever think no. it would? No, I, but I knew the properties were good. I knew it kept me from drinking. It kept me, uh, it kept me, you know, uh, I, 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 uh, I rub it. I have salves. I have, uh, I grow CBD on my farm right here. I grow my own CBD. I refine it. I make teas. Uh, and I'll tell you, it, it, you sleep better. It, uh, never had a prostate problem. Uh, you know, I just, uh, I believe in it and I don't smoke, I don't do THC that much anymore. I don't like getting high, but I like the, uh, the anti-inflammatory, uh, indicators in it that help you with your joints. You know, you have 27 bones in your hand. You have 27 in the other hand, you have 27 in your feet and you have 27 in your other foot. Those are half the bones of the body. And there's 27 outs in a ball game. Whoa. That's Whoa. reminding me of the, the Annie Savoy speech in Bull Durham, where she talks about the stitches in the baseball being the same number as the beads in a rosary. Yes, 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 yes. And I got to live with them. I pitched against Bowden in a old-timers 1881 game with, uh, I was playing for the Hartford Senators, and he was playing with the Pittsburgh Hillies. And I beat Bowden in Pittsfield with Annie Savoy in the stands and her husband, Luke LaRouche, who played me in the movie. Wait a minute. Yeah, that was me. Because Ron Sheldon said he stole all my lines for that book for Bull Durham. Wow. I can't say I'm surprised. Um, 
And I also, I got to ask you, you know, I, there, this is such a treat for me to talk to you, because like I said, I grew up reading the wrong stuff. I, I dog-eared it. I read it multiple times. And, but I was, I contacted you because uh, Howard Bryant gave me your home phone number. Now, you you are a no-sell, no-email kind of guy. Why, why have you chosen to go that route? I, I, there, was a, there was a book called, uh, Nathaniel West wrote it, called Dr. Lonely Hearts. He also wrote Dream Life of Balsam Smell and Lotus Land. He was a California writer. And I just, I know the answers, but I, have, I really hate to repeat myself. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, indeed. <laughs> and then my, my last question for you, and I ask this of every guest, is what kind of music does the spaceman listen to? Oh wow, I listened to Philip Glass, Einstein on the beach, which drives other people crazy. But it seems to soothe the beast. It seems to soothe the autism in me. And then I listen to sounds like Miles. That <laughs> wow, that's that's my music right there. That's beautiful. Isn't it beautiful? Ken Burns. Ken Burns' five albums on jazz are probably the best collaboration of jazz of all time. Ken Burns' baseball audio is some of the greatest sounds in the world. You know, it's, I listen to baseball tapes. I listen to a lot of uh, tapes when I'm driving. You know, I've read John McPhee's Control of Nature, Annals of a Former World by John McPhee, Looking for a Ship by John McPhee. I have read, uh, uh, what's the one on, on the basketball player from uh, Princeton University? A Sense of Where You Are by John McPhee. So I read. I mean, if you saw my library here, I'm walking right through pacing it. J James mm -hmm. Michener's Car Caribbean. You know, uh, I'm the character in three books. That's, I mean, and that doesn't even include your own books, where you're quite the no, character. No, not even including my book. Walt Whitman, Leaves of Grass, you know, Blue Highways, Graham Greene. Let me look, just looking down the Ring Lardner Reader, David Halberstam's Reckoning about the auto industry. You know, Halberstam died in California in yeah. a wreck. Uh, the guy who wrote the great poem about me, uh... What the hell? Who's the guy who wrote the poem about me from Oakland, hon? Oh, yeah, Clark. He died in a car wreck in Berkeley last year. I'm going, holy cow, how did Halberstam and, and Clark die in the same freaking way? It's sad. Wow. Well, wow. All, all I can say is, Billy, I, I so appreciate the time that you've given to me and my producer, David, and our humble podcast. Thank you so much. Well, you're not. I love you guys, and uh, keep up the good work. And as Dave Megacy said, you know, no one gets out of here alive. Just kidding. He didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Dave Megacy, a good friend of mine, actually. Yeah, well, Dave Megacy taught in Crassberry. Wow. Is that like amazing? It's all connected. It's all connected. It's all connected. Crassberry right here. This is the Sedona of Vermont, where I live. Hmm. It's great. You get up here, you got a place to stay. That's awesome. Well, I'm, well, as soon as I get that vaccination, I may be taking you up on that. Yeah, I'm getting it soon, too. And read uh, my new books, The Spaceman Chronicles, The Life of the Earthling Named Bill Lee.
Yeah, who is Scott Russell, the person who's... Uh... You know, he and I were characters that drank together back in the 70s, and he gave me a bunch of statistical information. He's more of a statistician. He was Bill James before Bill James, and we wrote the statistical superiority of the black and Hispanic athlete in uh, Major League Baseball, and it was rejected. Mm. I'm reading the Spaceman Chronicles right now. I'll just say this to my audience, and it is a abs- an absolute trip. I am enjoying it. <laughs> So much. Well, that's I. I don't. I believe in tripping. You know, it's, <laughs> we're only here for a brief time. And as they said in uh, my famous statement in Little Big Man, Dustin Hoffman, it's a good day to die, grandfather. Mm. Well, wow. Well, Bill, th- thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Thank you very much. I love you guys. Bye. Love you too. We'll talk soon. We'll be back right after this, but first, a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. This is what you gotta read. It's The Nation Magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe, and please never forget that when you support The Nation magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now I've got some choice words about Kyrie Irving of the Brooklyn Nets. There's an old expression from revolutionary Rosa Luxemburg, those who do not move do not notice their chains. This quote rattles in the back of my mind as NBA commentators and fans rage against Brooklyn Nets guard Kyrie Irving. He is choosing to move, and by doing so, revealing the realities of restraints. The iconoclastic Irving has taken a pause from playing for reasons clearly related to mental wellness and family. As Irving told the press, members of whom he referred to as pawns before the start of the season, which didn't exactly win him adherence. He had a lot of family and personal stuff going on, so just want to leave it at that. In other words, it's his own damn business. Irving has been fined $50,000 for attending a family birthday party, unmasked during his absence, and over 800 grand in game checks. But the story could not simply end with that. The media was furious with Irving for stepping away. Most repellently, longtime NBA journalist Jackie McMullen, who said that Kyrie is the property of the NBA's franchise owners, and he needs to learn for that reality. As Karan Phillips wrote for Deadspin, even after everything that's happened in the era of Trump, the events of 2020, and what's already taken place this year, McMullen's mentality is yet another example of how so many in white America look at black athletes solely as entertainment, as property. They aren't people, just tools that help them escape from the realities of their lives and racism. McMullen is certainly not alone with her disdain for Irving. He seems to get under the skin of media and fan haters more than any other basketball player in memory, and it is not difficult to understand why. It's because in his own way and on his own terms, Kyrie is truly free. He is a genius with a basketball, but he could also leave basketball. He loves the game, but clearly doesn't need it, and that makes him a threat. It also exposes a great deal of the empty rhetoric that the NBA likes to espouse. 
The NBA likes to bleat that this is a league defined by player empowerment and a social conscience. Yet clearly that goes only so far. Irving's very existence exposes just how thin these maxims are. It was Irving who agitated among other NBA players to not play in the bubble in 2020 because he and other players believed that resuming the season would distract the country from the protests that raged after the police murder of George Floyd. It was actually just revealed that Irving has secretly bought the family of Floyd a house. It was Irving who, to the anger of the scolds, appeared silently on a Zoom call of dozens of people for progressive Manhattan DA candidate Tahani Abushi under the name Kai Irving. It was Irving who has trolled the media by saying that he was a flat earther and then watched with a grin as people lost their minds. And this is the Kyrie who has left teams because he didn't want to play there, seeking out a comfortable place which it looks like he has finally found in Brooklyn. Watching Kyrie is to be reminded of the phrase of Muhammad Ali, I don't have to be what you want me to be. Kyrie is his own person, and that is still too much for those who are part of this league of alleged player empowerment. James Baldwin once said that America was devoted to the death of the paradox. It is that paradox of Kyrie Irving, that he is both athlete and thinker, that he is a basketball savant but does not let basketball define him, that people simply cannot abide. His very existence exposes the empty homilies from the league about wanting players to use their platform. He is himself unmistakably a free black man, and that seems to be his greatest sin of all. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it. But we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. Now's the time for the part of the show we call Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down. The Just Stand Up Award this week goes to somebody who I think has gotten more than anybody else on this show in recent years. Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics, the player who's making it so difficult for me to hate the Boston Celtics. Damn you, Jalen Brown. But Jalen Brown was asked something that I know I've been asked in recent weeks, which is what is the election of Joe Biden going to do to this ascension of the political athlete that we've seen over the last recent years? And this is what Jalen Brown said. He said, I don't want to be pessimistic, but I think now having a new face, Biden, people are taking their foot off the gas, thinking that everything is okay now. I would like to challenge that. We still have a lot of work to do, regardless if Biden is in office or not. I think that's really smart by Jalen Brown to say, and I also think it's really true. The police are still the police. Racism is still racism. And frankly, the Democratic Party is still the Democratic Party, which means that if people aren't in the streets, if people aren't organizing, if people aren't raising their voices, if athletes aren't losing their platforms, we're not going to make any progress on the issues that have animated player protest over the last several years, namely racial inequity and police violence. So Just Stand Up Award goes to you, Jalen Brown.
The Just Sit Your Ass Down Award this week Sit your ass down. goes to somebody I mentioned earlier in the Kyrie Irving piece, and that's Jackie McMullen. I was so surprised to hear McMullen, one of my favorite NBA reporters, refer to Kyrie Irving as property, precisely because Jackie McMullen is not a shit stain like the Whitlocks or the Travises out there, shit stain being Dan Lebetard's word for them. Uh, you know, people who are literally trying to create a right-wing pole of attraction, even a quasi-fascist, uh, crypto-fascist pole of attraction in the world of sports. Jackie McMullen is the real deal. And the fact that she's done it for decades as a woman is just so impressive. So for her to be on Ryan Rossillo's podcast, who's another one of those people whose politics are super sketch, um, for her to say that was, was just so disappointing whether she was adapting to Rosillo or speaking her own truth. Um, Jackie McGowan on this one, you got to sit down. Sit your ass down. And just a last word of note here. I want to say something about the passing of baseball legend Henry Aaron at the age of 86. Henry Aaron was an absolute giant. First of all, on the field, he made 25 all-star games. No one will ever touch that number. 25. All-time leader in RBI, all-time... Uh, leader in home runs until he was eclipsed by Barry Bonds, all-time 304 hitter, 3,700 hits. Henry Allen, Henry Aaron is unmistakably one of the best to ever pick up a baseball bat. He was hammering Hank. And, of course, people might know that a young uh, dancer who was loved by the Oakland A's and would dance for the players, the players all said he looked like Henry Aaron, and so they started calling him Hammer, and that was MC Hammer. So the connection with the cultural power of Henry Aaron cannot be spoken loudly enough. But what I want to remember, though, is the Henry Aaron who people don't know. Somebody who was in, you know, Confederate Atlanta when it was still a white town and was part of the resurgence, or I should say surgeons. <laughs> I don't think that's a word, but surgeons of Atlanta as a, a black mecca. Uh, Henry Aaron was also somebody who has always, until his last days, been part of organizing for racial justice uh, and part of trying to, particularly in the criminal justice system, make sure that there was proper representation for black defendants. That was a serious issue that he took to heart his whole life. Uh, Henry Aaron uh, is also someone who in 2018 was asked if he would visit Trump's White House and his response, which was so beautiful, was there's nobody there that I want to see. Um, and But the Henry Aaron I also want to remember is the one who broke Babe Ruth's record of 714 home runs in April of 1974. People have to understand that it looked like Aaron was going to break the record in 73. And then he had to spend the entire offseason waiting till April of 74, thinking that he might be assassinated because white America was so repulsed at the thought of a black man being the home run king. Now, there's a lot of irony in this, in that when Babe Ruth played, there was rumors that he had African-American blood and players wouldn't room with him on the road. But by the early 70s, Babe Ruth was this somehow this avatar of white America, and Henry Aaron was not welcome in terms of being the home run king. And it was so intense, the amount of hate mail, that, by the way, Henry Aaron never threw away, that he received that the Atlanta Journal-Constitution actually had an obituary on file for just in case Aaron was assassinated that offseason. That's how serious it was. 
it was so serious that when Aaron hit that 715th home run, and people might know the tape of the two white hippies running out onto the field to shake his hand, Henry Aaron's bodyguard almost took those hippies out, not knowing who they were and what they were, what their intentions were. Like they were almost put in the earth because they got so close to Henry Aaron at that moment. That's how serious it all was. But Henry Aaron did not only survive this, he thrived. And so Henry Aaron, a giant, one of the best to ever do it on and off the field. We salute you here on the podcast. Hammer and Hank, rest in peace. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much to the spaceman, Bill Lee. Thank you so much to my producer, David Tigaboo. If you want to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash edge of sports pod. Uh, really hope you do. And uh, please, if you like the show, write a little review of it, make a little comment. All that stuff helps with the various algorithms that exist. Not that I understand them. For everybody out there listening, please stay frosty and mask up. We are out of here. Peace.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.